Welcome. All right. You are All right. If you have your Bible, turn to, I don't know, Matthew 5 or something. If Matthew like chapter 5. Hear, Today I am starting eight months series. Let me just let me just say this. Uh, I'm the way I am. Everybody's like, the way is how I am. I'm a big picture guy. Like I see big picture, right? When and and if I start, um, I remember one time it was how many years ago, babe? Three years ago. Don't no, don't do that. Uh, I started a woodworking project for Missy, a box, okay. For Mother's Day, four years ago, and uh, about Mother's Day, three years afterwards, I finished it. Thank God. Okay, now that's terrible. Okay, I, but my favorite part of the project was the planning, the you know the the rough end construction of the box and all that kind of stuff. But when it came down to the details, I get bored, right? And so the reason I, I say this is that I love the big picture of eight months of the Beatitudes. About week 17, and we're combing through our lives with a fine-tooth comb into the details. Y'all need to encourage your pastor to say, Pastor, keep it up, okay? And maybe encourage yourself that, hey, God called us to this journey, amen? And so we're not going to get lost in the weeds. We're not going to get lost in the details. We're not going to check out. We're going to take every week very seriously. We're going to dig in, dig, dig, dig in. We're going to gaze at the Beatitudes until they change our lives, that's a good word. All right. So um, before I jump in there, let me just do one more, one more uh, introductory thing. I spent three weeks introducing the kingdom and the Beatitudes. I'm going to do one more before we jump into poor in spirit. But we got poor. We got mourn. We got meek. We got hunger. Thirst. Can y'all read that? Mankind is a what? Triune being made up of a spirit. This is the part of you that gets born again. A soul. That soul is triune. It's mind, will, emotions, and a body, the flesh. Okay? Now, this occurred to me when I was driving to town about two or three days ago. This first half, this first half of the Beatitudes, right? You got poor, poor in spirit, mourn, meekness, hunger and thirst, and then you got the rest of them, and they have, you know, mercy, peacemaking, pure-hearted persecution. Those deal with how we interact with mankind. The first four deal with how we interact with God. I'm poor in spirit. I'm mourn. uh, uh, I'm meek. Not your meekness. I'm not going to preach too much now, but meekness primarily is how we approach God. That's, that's, That's preaching right there. And then hunger and thirst. For what? For God's righteousness. Right? And so, look at this. Pour in, uh, this, in case you're confused, this is the part where I have a long pause and then you say something out loud. Okay, right? Here we go. Pour in. Spirit. Mourning, we equate with what? Emotion, right? Meekness is a submitting of the mind and the will. It, it literally it is, I choose to not exercise this power, but to restrain so that God can, you see what I'm saying? Meekness is an exercising of the soul as well. 
and then hungering and thirst. What is in the natural realm hunger? It's a, it's 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 this body craving. Does that make sense? How many of y'all raise your hand are hungry right now? See what I'm saying? Like you, your body is craving. So the hunger and thirst for righteousness, absolutely righteousness is imputed. Righteousness is also what's practiced. And righteousness, is, I will give account of righteousness according to our deeds, the word says. And it is the acts of the flesh. Blessed are you whenever you hunger and thirst for God's standard of righteousness. To live and to walk into according to the flesh, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, but in this body to do deeds of, according to righteousness. And so my point is this the Beatitudes are told, they, they touch every area of mankind. They're, they're all inclusive, comprehensive for mankind. There's no part that the Beatitudes don't touch your life somehow. Does that make sense? Your spirit. Your body, your mind, your will, your emotions. I won't get into it right now, but the blessed part, that word there in the Greek, makarios, is happy. Everybody say happy. happy. Right? That, that's a good definition. We don't like that definition. I don't like that definition because happiness seems so, like, just base, right? And, and just, just human. But it, it really is the idea of happiness. There have been books written, scholarly books written, on the, the uh, connection between the Beatitudes and mental health. That's how important the happiness that comes from doing it God's way when it comes, how it'll change your life. Somebody say amen. All right. And so my point is this. Uh, all these things culminate at the end, like uh, in persecution, where your body dies, your soul is crying out for forgiveness, right? Jesus, right? Uh, Stephen, as he's being, and your spirit is, is, is being, uh, is given as a sacrifice. And, and, and so my point is this. There's no part of your life, this study, this deep dive into Beatitudes is not going to touch. It's going to touch your spirit, man. It's going to touch the way you think, the way you feel, your decision making. And it's going to touch even the appetite of your flesh. There's no part of this that, that, that doesn't come under the great hand of God's kingdom power in the Beatitudes. The kingdom ethics is what we call it. So... Chad, you can take this board back and, and uh, do with what you want. You can get out of the way now. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. If you don't know, if you're the first time today, I'm starting an eight-month series. It's been, uh, we're actually in the second month of last month was introduction, but we're going to go through all the Beatitudes one at a time a month. If that sounds appealing to me, to you, you're weird. Is that Okay. So blessed, uh, I hope everybody memorizes the Beatitudes after uh, nine months of this. Blessed are the I'm so glad you decided to, to uh, add that extra part in there, in spirit. So many people want to just stop it poor. No. Uh, let me say this but before we get any further. Poor in spirit isn't talking about your bank account. Okay? You're not more spiritual because you don't have any money. At the same time, even this beatitude will touch your financial life. So just because we say it's not about money, don't expect God to govern in his kingdom even the way you come and approach money as well. Somebody say amen. 
All right. But so if you're poor in spirit, then it'll it'll be uh, evident because where your heart is, your treasure is there also. That makes sense. So what you really hunger for, what you're what you really pour for, what you really need in life, is it God and his kingdom and his spirit or is it to make money? So it does touch money, but it's not about money. It touches every area of your life. Somebody say, man. All right. So blessed are the poor in spirit for the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. You don't have to turn. Uh, I'll make you two promises. Either one, the scripture will be up on the, on the screen, or B, I won't lie to you about it. Okay? That was funny. Anyway, Luke chapter 4. I want you to picture this. Jesus just came out of the wilderness. He got baptized. He went into the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days. He got tempted by the devil. And now he's starting his public ministry. Okay? Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the... Amen. You are doing good. Keep it up. Jesus is in the power of the Spirit. He had this... He was tempted with the kingdoms of this world and all their glory. And he said, no, I want the spirit kingdom. That's how we'll win this thing. That makes sense? So he comes out of the desert hungry, uh, uh, refreshed after, by, by, by the angels who brought him food. But he comes out fasting and praying because his hunger and thirst isn't natural. It's spiritual. And so he comes out in the power of the spirit. And he, news about him is spreading everywhere. This guy is getting very popular. Next verse, brother. Verse 15. He began teaching in their synagogue and was praised by all. So on, a, on he goes to the synagogue, as was his custom. Next verse. Uh, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and, he was, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood behind the pulpit, and he gets ready to read. Now, the Bible says that one of the priests brought to him a, scr a scroll. He doesn't choose the scroll. The priest chooses the scroll. He takes that scroll, he opens it up, and he finds the place he wants to start reading. This is some of the first words of his public ministry. Amen? This is, this is one of his announcements of going public in ministry. And he quotes Isaiah, and the first words out of his mouth are this. The Spirit of the Lord, if I say spirit, spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach or proclaim the good news. And if I want to steal from Matthew, like I taught you the last few weeks, the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel is not the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Salvation is entrance into the kingdom. But Jesus isn't just interested in punching your ticket to final destination heaven. He wants to see you come into the kingdom and, and, and let that kingdom control every, every micro area of your entire life. He wants all of you, not just a little bit of you. He's not just saying, hey, here's some fire insurance, escape hell. He's saying, come into the kingdom and let everything change. Everything be different. This is, you're a brand new person, brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Everything is different. You can't, you can't say yes to heaven and just live like you want to live. That's not the gospel. That's the gospel of a modern era, but it's not the true gospel. The gospel of the kingdom is, here I am. Here's the message. The king is here. Repent. 
The kingdom is at hand repent. And this is what repentance looks like. And we start with the Beatitudes. And this is what he said. Preach the gospel to the, everybody say it real loud. Now, all your life, you've read that word poor and you thought people without money. Haven't you? Raise your hand if you have. Me too. All my life, I've read Isaiah's, Jesus speaking Isaiah's prophecy. I'm here under the Spirit of the Lord, anointed to preach the kingdom, preach the gospel to the poor. And you thought about money. Stop. Go to the very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for what do they get? The kingdom. When Jesus came, he was looking for poor people in spirit. Because he knows only the poor in spirit can get the kingdom. How, in, how imperative is it that we lay the, the foundation of poor in spirit as we build all these attributes on top of that? Poor in spirit is the only way we get in. Does that make sense? It is the foundation. If you don't get this, you don't get the rest of them. So what is poor in spirit? Oh, by the way, time out. This will make some of you upset. Some of you will be glad. I'm starting a timer. Raise your hand if you're glad I'm starting a timer. It, that wasn't a raise your hand. That was a, an out loud voice. I started a timer because we got to do communion today, and I don't want you to be here till 1 o'clock. It's going to beep at me later on, and then y'all just say, keep going, Pastor. That's so good. Amen. First word here, blessed, happy. It literally, this is the biblical definition. Pertaining to being happy with the implication of enjoying favorable circumstances. This is crazy. Remember this word. Uh, pertaining to, listen, you can black out that screen for a second. Pertaining to enjoying favorable circumstances. Raise your hand and if in your carnal mind being poor is a favorable circumstance. Raise your hand if mourning is a favorable circumstance. Meekness. No. Hunger and thirst. No. Merciful. Pure in heart. Uh, making no, no, no. See, the kingdom of God is so upside down. It says, happy, favorable circumstance. You're poor. You see what I'm saying? Hey, guess what? You happy. Uh, you get to mourn with me. The craziest one is the last one. Blessed are you when they persecute you, revile, say all kinds of evil against you. They lie about you. Rejoice and be glad. Happy. Yay. That's why I'm saying this is number one. We can't approach the definition of what the kingdom looks like in our flesh. What do we have to have? The number one thing we got to have. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Everybody say spirit. spirit. All right. Blessed, happy, the implication of enjoying favorable circumstance. By the way, 
It would be a favorable circumstance if you get the kingdom. Would be a favorable circumstance if you get comfort. Would be a favorable circumstance if you get uh, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Would be a favorable circumstance if you're hungering and thirst after righteousness for you shall be favorable circumstance satisfied. Would be a favorable circumstance if what? What? The pure in spirit get to see God. The merciful get mercy, right? Uh, the, uh, the peacemaker gets to be called sons of God. That's a favorable circumstance. Uh, the, uh, by the way, if you persecuted, you get the kingdom. The kingdom bookends both sides. Those are favorable circumstances. Our problem isn't that we don't want the favorable circumstance. Our problem is we believe the pathway to the favorable circumstance will also be favorable. We don't want any pain. We don't want any suffering. We don't want any having to conform to the image of Christ. We just want to be happy on every step of the process. That makes sense. We want to be uh, easy peasy. We want the wide road. We don't want the straight and narrow. Somebody say amen. So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word poor is really what it means. Uh, actually, it's worse than what you, what you think it means. When we see a poor guy here, that poor guy still genuinely gets three meals a day, two meals a day. That, that poor person, I'm not, look, I'm, I'm going to say this, um, and I'm not trying to be like a jerk at all. I'm saying, is, is, has anybody thought about the irony of like homeless poor people are very well-rounded? You see what I'm saying? I'm not being a jerk. I'm saying like, they're not starving to death. They can go. There's so much access to uh, resources in America if you're poor. You get several square meals a day. You, got, you can have a place to sleep. You can, I mean, to be poor is absolutely terrible. It's hard. I'm not saying nobody's really poor. I'm saying it's, 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 it's tough. But I'm saying back then if you were poor, it was a, life, it was a death sentence. A beggar on the side of the road rattling his can, right? That money he got was literally all he got. A piece of bread was all, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, it was a death sentence. This is why orphans and widows were supposed to be, were, I mean, of all the things that the, the apostles said, take care of people, it says orphans and widows. Well, why orphans and widows? Because once your husband died or once your parents died, if you didn't have some way to accumulate wealth, you were done, so to take care of the poor, orphans and widows is the call of the church because back then it was a death sentence. To be poor was to be utterly and completely in need. Here's our problem. We ain't poor. We aren't dependent upon the Spirit of God as it's a matter of life and death. And this is where it all starts. We sing songs like, I can't live without your presence, and I can't live without you, and all this kind of stuff. But the truth is, I can manage pretty well without God. I can start to feed my soul and my flesh and all these different things. And I can do life without God pretty well. So don't y'all look at me that way. You can too, right? Amen? There is this thing that it all starts getting into the kingdom, 
all starts with this thought. This is the only thing you need. God and his spirit. Now, how different of a presentation of the gospel is, is, is that than our modern presentation? Where, come give Jesus a try, test drive the car, see if you like it, if it works out well for you, if you experience happiness and blessing because you tried out the car. Well, I don't like this, this option because this option doesn't have power window. That's how we treat God, right? So I'll just keep swapping out the God vehicle till I find the thing I like. As if I like was the prerequisite to entering the kingdom. To enter the kingdom is a picture of a man who gets on his hands and knees and crawls to the throne of mercy and say, I am wretched. I am undone. I need your mercy. Please rescue me. I am out of my mind. I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. Isaiah was the most holiest, famous Israel spiritual leader in all of the nation of Israel. The prophet Isaiah. He's not like you and me. He is like big time. He is the most powerful spiritual man in the entire nation of Israel. Right? The prophet Isaiah is a big deal. You didn't, you didn't just look at Isaiah as like us. You looked at him as like a, a, a spiritual hero. Like he's really close to God. He speaks on behalf of God. He, he's a prophet of God. And the Bible says that on the Lord's day, he was, no, no, no. The Bible says that, 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 that he was in the spirit. No, I'm not thinking about John. Anyway, the Bible says that the spirit came into where he was, into the temple, and the, the train of his robe and the glory filled the temple. And look at me, look at me right here. The most holy man in all of Israel falls on his face, says, woe is me, I am undone. Yeah. Come on, dude. Come on. The holiest man on the planet gets in the presence of God and says, I'm nothing, I'm done. I, no, no, I need you. I have nothing of myself that can stand in this presence. Yeah. That is the base mentality of what it really means to come into the kingdom to be born again. I am poor, poor, poor. Now, here's the problem. Is many of us started off this way, right? How many started off just so in love with God, just needing him more than uh, anything? And then the more you're in the Christian machine... the less and less I need him. In other words, I'm a little less poor than I was, and I start to acquire some sense of wealth, some sense of self-ability to stand. And this is where Jesus would look at the Pharisees and say, Y'all guys are self-righteous. You do all this stuff. You do all this stuff, and you think because of all the stuff you do, it makes you the, with the ability to stand in God's presence and not throw yourself on the floor. The most mature believer in this room will hit the floor just as fast as the most immature believer in the room when the Spirit of God comes.
the most mature believer in this room, has gained no independence apart from God whatsoever. They're in more need the older they get. The more they know, the more they need. So I have to study this stuff before I preach it to you, right? I mean, me and Google and ChatGPT, we just make it happen. That's a joke, by the way. But I'm saying to you, like, I have to study this stuff. I have to, like, preach this stuff and pray about this stuff. Look at me right now. This is kicking my tail. The Beatitudes are kicking my tail. The more I look about being poor in the Spirit, the more I realize I'm rich. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, your greatest need is spirit. Jesus stands there in the spirit and says, the Lord anointed me to come and draw the poor. Poor in spirit is an absolute humble dependence upon God. This is what I want to say real fast. All of you who have become more and more independent, it's time to repent. Amen. What does repentance look like in the area of dependence? Where I don't do life on my own and my ability and my own dependence. But look at me. I have to turn away from my independence, my self-sufficiency, my own ability, my gifts, my talents, my whatever. And I have to run back into the hands of the spirit, the arms of God and say, I need you. It's almost like we sing this thing as little kids. Abba, I belong to you. Next verse, or, or give me, uh, no, 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 not, not next verse. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to get a little technical here. Stay with me. Everybody with me? How am I doing on time? 33 minutes left. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say they're in the kingdom of heaven. It says the kingdom is theirs. What? The kingdom of heaven where the, where the, the scriptures talk about streets being painted with, painted, <laughs> not painted made out of gold like this 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 kingdom where uh, the scripture says every perfect and good gift comes from the father of light above right it, it, it like everything is perfect and right that kingdom is not just i'm not just in it it is mine yeah. Yeah. what what i'm poor that's how upside the kingdom of God, that's how upside down the kingdom of God is. The poor, look at me, the poor get the greatest, quote unquote, wealth. This isn't about money. Understand what I'm saying? You can't get to that kind of wealth, body, soul, spirit, mind, will, emotions, uh, everything. You can't get there unless you first understand that's the only thing you need. And the only thing you're living for. It's almost like in the same sermon, Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and it's, and all these other things will be added unto you. So the only way to get to the kingdom is it has to be my first singular obsession. Okay, so the kingdom is there. Uh, 
is, we're going to talk about the word is. No, I'm not Bill Clinton, but we're going to talk about the word is. There is as possessive language. The kingdom belongs to, hey, if you're poor in spirit, the kingdom is, your, is yours. Well, that's okay. Well, what does that mean? All right. Turn, put, the, put up John 1, 1 for me. Everybody knows this, this scripture. In the beginning, that Greek word for was and the Greek word for the kingdom is there is the same Greek word in a different tense. Look at me. In the beginning is the word, was the word, and the word is with God, was with God. And the word is, was God. Make sense what I'm saying to you? I'm, 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 drawing the de- I'm, I'm trying to help you see language here. That, that word was and the word is, is essentially the same word in different tense. Well, what's your point? Does anybody in the room have a problem believing that the word was with God? Does anybody in the room have a problem believing the word is God? Do you have a problem believing that the kingdom is yours? In the same way that the word is God, if you're poor in spirit, the kingdom is yours. Y'all are looking at me funny. That's intense. As rock solid as that is, that's foundational doctrine. That's, that's literally most foundational doctrine. Jesus Christ manifested at the word is God, trying, right? He, he, is, he is the Godhead, three in one. Like, this, is, this is absolutely foundational doctrine. Just as foundational is the first beatitude that teaches you if you actually do this, if you actually go and become poor in spirit, it's not like if you try it and it might work. It's actually if you get poor in spirit, you actually get the kingdom inside of you. You're different. Nothing's the same anymore. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm possessed by another realm and dimension. The kingdom is mine. And we all want that. Amen, right? That's that blessed ending we all ask strive for. But see, the way to get there is totally antithetical to anything your flesh or your heart tells you to do. you got to be different, man. you got to be opposite of what you think you got to be. you got to go. It's, it's, uh, the only way up is down. So, moving on. Revelation 3. Everybody tuck your toes. This is, this is the hard part. Okay, this is, this is the hard part. Chester, what do you believe that the church, uh, not just this church, but the church of America, America, the, 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 the modern church, the Western church, like, what do you believe? Where are we at? I'm going to throw us in this same category because we're all looking in the mirror and going, ooh, right? The angel of the church of Laodicea. Everybody say Laodicea. This is the last church in the book of Revelation. 
that Jesus is using John to prophesy to. This is what it says. The amen, the faithful, the true witness of God, the beginning of creation of God says this. I know your deeds. Everybody say deeds. Deeds. What you believe absolutely translates into what you do. And you can never separate those two things as hard as we try. You're not hot, you're not cold. This is us. I mean this guy. I mean us. I mean the church in large in the West. We're not radical anymore. The quietness is the resounding amen. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're a little bit spiritual and a little bit carnal. You like to speak in tongues, but you get offended real easy. Are y'all there this morning? I mean, you like to shout Holy Ghost. You like to do all this kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, you're just really satisfied with lots of things in this life. You're not poor. not hungry. I wish you were hot or cold. Cold water is good for stuff. Hot water is good for stuff. Lukewarm water is just meh, right? When I was eight years old and picking up rocks in North Arkansas and Stone County, <laughs> right, and picking up rocks in the farmer's field and throwing them in the back of a, of, of a trailer, I did not want lukewarm water to drink. I would have drank it, but cold water, man, that stuff, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's Blanchard Springs that comes out, the, comes out of, the, of the cave, 58 degrees year-round. It's amazing. And people will drive from all over, literally the United States, to go stand at the mouth of this cave because cold water actually attracts people. Hot water does, too. You can go to hot springs. Warm water, lukewarm water, it's really, you know, whatever. We wash some dishes or something. Jesus says about this Laodicean church, you're not hot, you're not cold. Uh, next verse, verse 16. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, uh, the more graphic version the, is I'm going to puke you out. I'm going to throw up. In other words, what this is, what this is port, uh, trying to communicate is not just a... Uh, involuntary action to lukewarm water. It's actually a disgust. In other words, what he says to this Laodicean church is, I'm disgusted with you. Blech. Amen? Well, that's, that's the other church across town, not us. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17 says this. But why? Why would you do that? Because this is what you say. This is what you think. In contrast to blessed are the poor in spirit, this is how you should think. 
This is what you do think. You say, I'm rich. You say, I have become wealthy. You say, I have need of nothing, which is absolutely a spit in the face to the God who says, there's only one thing you need, and you say you have need of nothing. This isn't talking about money, ladies and gentlemen. Every time you see the word rich, don't, don't just assume money. This is a Laodicean church who says, we figured out how to have church on our own. We figured out a machine. We can keep going all on our own. We don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't need God in our lives. I can wake up, drink my coffee, do my Bible devotional, and go live my life the way I want to live my life and do my life the way I want to do my life. I'm not in desperate need of God and His Spirit to survive every waking moment of my life. I have need of nothing. I've got it figured out. Now, nobody would come up here and grab this microphone and say that out loud. But does your life demonstrate how little I need God? See, what you don't know is that you're wretched. Think about this. What is the modern gospel trying to teach everybody? You're not as bad as you say think you are. You're not wretched. The only way we get to unwretched is to throw ourselves on the wretchedness that we are and say, God, have mercy. It's getting quiet in here. You don't know that you're wretched. You don't know that you're miserable. Everybody, anybody ever been so miserable it became the normal way of life? Like you're so ingrained into misery of self, you just think that's what it looks like now. You're poor, not the good kind, blind, naked. By the way, every time the word naked is said in the scriptures, starting all the way in Genesis, all the way to the end, it associates shame with nakedness, right? In the garden, they were naked and ashamed. There's so much shame on the church. So much shame on the church because we're naked, we're wretched, we're poor, we're dysfunct, and we don't even know it. If a guy was running around town naked and acting like everything was normal, you would go, that's not okay, Newsflash, the Holy Spirit is looking at us running around naked, wretched, and, and acting like everything's okay. And the Holy Spirit is trying to say, this is not okay. Verse 18, I advise you, go back to verse, I'm not, I'm not done driving home the point yet. We have got to get away from a mentality that to look in the mirror of God's word and see something that is ugly is actually a very healthy way to be right with God. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul said. Chief of sinners, he introduced himself. Bond servant of Christ was his number one greeting. 
Why do we feel the need to see wretchedness in the mirror and try to soothe the soul and say, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay. Amen? Are y'all with me? Why not go, what I see in the mirror of God's word, woe is me. Let me get down to the lowest part and let me humble myself and let me repent and let me be dis- in the, uh, uh, you know what mourn you know what when we get to mourning means is that is this is, is let me share in the disgust the way he disgusted with the puking in other words there's things that he pukes out that we're not puking out we're ingesting feeding ourselves on i'm saying on some level we have to become poor. Nobody looks at the homeless guy in the Bible times who's sitting there, who hasn't bathed, who has no roof over his head. By the way, Jesus said, if you want to come follow me, I have the, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Right? Like nobody looks at the, at, the, at the beggar on the side of the street. And matter of fact, when Jesus would try to go minister to the beggars, they would tell him to stop. And this is the crazy thing about the gospel is the gospel is saying in order to get to the kingdom, you've got to become that guy for the spirit. So this is what Jesus said. He said, verse 18, I advise you. Uh, uh, very interesting wording here by Jesus. It's not like the idea of like, hey, let me, let me give you some tips and some pointers. It's almost like that, hey, I need you to listen to me. This is my advice that you need to follow, right? I advise you, buy from me. You just got through telling me I was poor, (laughs) right? You said I have nothing. How can I buy from you anything, especially gold refined in your fire, How in the world do you buy gold if you're naked and poor? Is God schizophrenic? Is he? No. How do you do it? How do you buy gold refining the fire? You're naked. Buy clothes. That what it said, right? You're naked. Buy clothes. The next part of it is, uh, you're, you're uh, wretched, you're unclean, you're, you, you, you are uh, unhealthy. Buy medicine for your eyes. How much both medicine, clothes, and gold were, were not just, they're expensive now. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, for inflation, right? All right, I'm joking, sort of, right? But you see what I'm saying? Like medicine, those things are expensive now. How much more then? And then to have a poor guy, and you look at him and say, I, I advise you to buy from me. That's almost like, right? You understand what I'm saying? Like, how does, that, how, does, how does Jesus instruct you to buy something you have no funds to purchase? And not just buy something, the most costly commodities of the kingdom. There's only one way you purchase his gold, his clothing, his salve. By the way, side note, the gold is the refiner's fire. It is what you come looking, you come out on the other side purified. Blessed are the pure and uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness throughout the entire word of God is illustrated as a robe that we wear. 
clothing, clothed in God's righteousness. Uh, uh, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Uh, having our eyes doctored that we can see right is that pure heart is singular vision. So really what he's saying is you, is, is you need to buy from me the Beatitudes so that you can get healthy again. Oh, by the way, buy from me gold, buy from me white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness. Uh, I just want to say this real quick. I could go, I could really go off for a while. What does my clock say? Oh, great. That's awesome. 44 more minutes. Great. So, uh, so, so listen, listen, listen. Have, have you noticed there's this thing in the body of Christ today? Uh, if I could bring that board back out here from when we, when we, when we, uh, Erased it. There was a tree, right? And there was roots under the ground, and there was tree. And we spend all of our time dealing with shame, that we ne- we don't spend any of our time dealing with nakedness. We spend all our time dealing with the fruit. We don't spend any of our time dealing with the root. If I hear, an- I'm, uh, calm down, Chester, poor in spirit. But if I hear another sermon on shame, I've heard a million sermons on shame over the last several years. We're dealing with symptoms. We're not getting to the root cause. Every time in the scripture shame is mentioned, there was a root cause for the shame. And everybody wants to paint this picture where you come with your root cause, but you don't have to feel shame. And that's antithetical to what the scripture says. The only way you get rid of shame is to remove the cause of the shame. Nobody wants to hear that sermon. See what I'm saying? You can't deal with shame unless you remove the cause of shame. Matter of fact, one of the prophets says, Israel, I want you to be ashamed of yourself. That wouldn't preach too well today, would it? Moving on. I knew y'all would amen me real good today. I knew it. Your nakedness. So the question is, how do we buy? What do we have to purchase Refined gold. What do we have to purchase? Righteous clothes. What do we have that, that I have? What do I have that's valuable enough to purchase medicine for my eyes? Here's the answer. There was a prodigal son, and he was rich, and he had everything. And he squandered it and became poor. Had nothing. Eating out of a pig stein. Calm down, Jason. Calm down. He has nothing. He has the ability to purchase nothing. But he wants back in the father's house. What is the one thing he could exchange for the father's house. Sell himself as a slave. Everybody wants to preach how gracious the father is. And they want to take advantage of a gracious father without first being willing to sell themselves into slavery. And it has corrupted the gospel. 
The only way he gets back into the father's house is to be willing to get out of his pigsty and say, I don't have anything to buy, but I've got one thing I can lay upon the altar and it's me and I'll be a slave the rest of my life if I got to be a slave as long as I'm in his house. And that's not our heart. Our heart is God wants you son so bad, just come back. And I'm telling you, I can't get back into the kingdom unless I'm willing to be a slave. That's poor in spirit. And guess what he gets? He doesn't get slave, although he's willing to be one. He gets kingdom because he's willing to be a slave. I'm not a slave, I'm a son. To will to God, you'd be a slave to get to sonship. The Apostle Paul, every letter he introduces himself, bond slaving of Christ, bond servant of Christ, slave of Christ, slave of Christ. And we're so rejecting poor. We are the rich Laodicea in church. We don't want nothing to do with poor. We don't want nothing to do with lowly. We don't want nothing to do with humble. We don't want nothing to do with wretched. We want to come in on our own terms, walk with our chest held high, puff and strut right in the kingdom of God and say, here I am, Father, here to make you proud. And what we don't have, and what we have now resembles nothing like the kingdom. It's a manufactured church machine that just keeps producing more and more proselytes. More and more people who are straining gnats because where hard posture to approach him has been wrong. I'll be the least. I'll be the nothing. I'll be the no one. I'll be the slave. That's how you get the kingdom. I can't do that. I've, all my life, I've kept all the commandments. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I can't do it. The repentance that is required of us is on such a fundamental level. It scares me. Do I have the ability? To become poor again. Do I have the ability to be the slave again? I, I can honestly say, when I was born again, there was this thing in me that whatever you ask me to do, I'll do anything. Now I'll do whatever makes me happy. Right? I'll do whatever pleases me. While the churches of Ephesus and Peregrine and Thyatira and Sardis were guilty of manifest evils, right? Uh, one of them, you had a literal, you had a Jezebel in your midst. They had manifest evil, right? The, the, no such evil is laid at the charge of the church of Laodicea. The evil is not manifest, it was perilous. It was... The Laodiceans professed Christianity, but they were self-complacent and self-satisfied. 
they were unconscious that they were holy or all but holy out of communion with Christ. And they felt no need of repentance. That's what scares me. What scares me is that I will get to a place where I can stand before God and say, I'm good. You know that the writer of Hebrews has to say that by the blood of Jesus, we can boldly approach the throne of grace because it needed to be said because the throne of grace is so terrifying. There has to be some semblance of it's okay to approach. We don't think of the throne room that way anymore, do we? We're not like Isaiah. We think we can twiddly dee and doodly or dumb all around the throne room and just live life the way we want to live. The throne room has no weight. It has no merit. It has no conviction. It's not a place of awe. It's a place of whatever. Literally, that is the best word, whatever. The throne room isn't church on Sunday morning, by the way. The throne room is this, is this place of God. Uh, because in every kingdom, there is a king, and the king sits on the throne And you have the ability by the blood of Jesus who shed mercy on your wretched soul to get to it. So you can have some confidence that you can get there. You see what I'm saying? That's the confidence Paul's trying to explain. Or whoever writes Hebrews trying to explain is you can have confidence that you actually can get there. Otherwise, how else could I get there? Other than the blood of Jesus let me get there. But we walk in there, we think confidence means we can just walk into the throne room and make our demands and tell them what we want and tell them what we need. And give me this and give me that because I can get into the throne room. That's what I say. Maybe we don't have not because we don't, maybe we don't, we don't ask not have not because maybe we're not, we're, we're so out of tune with begging. That's another sermon for another day. It's not beneath me to beg. After all, I'm poor in spirit. This is a good stopping spot. I got five more minutes, but I got about 50 more minutes of notes. We'll go five more minutes. Jesus says to the Pharisees, by the way, by the way, Chester is saying to you, the more I look at this, the less I am not a Pharisee. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You confess one way, but you do another thing, right? Why? You shut the kingdom of heaven. The only way in is poor. And these religious leaders are shutting the door to the kingdom. How do you shut the door? 
manipulation and control. No, 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 no. You shut the kingdom by allowing people to believe they're not poor anymore. You shut it off. This is what I was trying to tell all the men that were here yesterday. This is what I was trying to tell you. You shut it off because you don't go in there yourself. In other words, the kingdom has to be demonstrated. We need fathers and husbands and mothers and wives and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters who will demonstrate to the next generation what it looks like to be the Beatitude Christian because they have never seen it before. You don't go in yourselves and you don't allow anyone else to go in. Why? Because they're, that kingdom is in a direct competition with the kingdom we're building down here. So it's really easy. Look at me. It's really easy to big a, build a big church on a really sloppy grace message. It's really easy to build a kingdom down here on a sloppy grace message where everybody gets to come in. Everybody gets to do whatever they want to and live however they want to and do whatever they want to. But if you hold a high standard, the church gets a little smaller. You see what I'm saying? Like you're shutting people off from the kingdom. You're not telling them this is how to get in. Uh, another one, verse. Uh, give me the next verse over there. Uh, Luke chapter 11 says this. Woe to you lawyers. Uh, that's, uh, Luke 11, 52. Did I give you that one? No? Okay, Luke 11, 52. Woe to you lawyers. Same type. That, uh, woe to you taken away the keys of knowledge. Everybody say keys of knowledge. You yourself don't enter and you hinder those who are entering. What is the key of knowledge? The Beatitudes. You see what I'm saying? How do you get into the kingdom? It literally says, blessed are the poor, for they shall have the kingdom of heaven. We're ta- and, we're, and, and we teach every, how many sermons have you heard on, on the Beatitudes? Well, from me, yes, a lot, okay? But genuinely, like you turn on the radio and you listen to preachers preach, they're not preaching about the Beatitudes, they're preaching about uh, the time and date the next thing's going to happen. Because it sells. It's great. And my point is to you, it's like uh, you're ta- we're ta- we've, the church system has preached a message that has removed the knowledge of how to get into the kingdom. I'm going to read one passage of scripture and I'll be done. Okay? We're just going to read it. Luke 18. I'm going to try. I'm trying to. I got, I got one minute, my, my clock says. He told this parable, Luke 18, to people who trusted in themselves. If you trust in yourselves, you're not poor, right? Some trust in horses, some trust in, but we trust in the, that's poor in spirit. He told this parable to people who trusted in themselves. We read over that like it's not even there, right? You've got to understand who he's talking to. He's talking to self-righteous, people who've got it all figured out, people who know how to do this thing with God, right? And he's saying, look, he's saying, uh, uh, who trusted themselves, they were righteous, that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. You never do that, do you? I do. <laughs> you never look at somebody else and go, well, I mean, I'm glad I'm not like them. And when genuinely, what we're talking about is some issue of morality, because we've got it all figured out when it comes to morality. Verse 10, he says this, two men went up to the temple to pray. 
One, a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Pharisee is good in this picture. If you're in Israel, a tax collector is bad. You are a traitor to the nation of Israel if you are a tax collector. You do not want to be a tax collector, okay? The Pharisee stood and was praying to this to himself. God, thank you that I'm not like Talon. That's kind of true. Anyway, God, thank you that I'm not like, that was a joke, Talon. That was a joke. You see what I'm saying? Thank you that I'm not like this person. Uh, uh, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, Democrat. Oh, sorry, my bad. My bad. Totally slipped out. Thank you, God, I'm not like that. Verse 12 says this. I fast. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes on everything I get. Down to the, the scripture talked about down to the to mint. Like not like a mint of gold, like a little seed and like little spices. Verse 13, the tax collector, he was standing over there some distance away. The Pharisee ran right into the middle, right into the throne room in front of everybody. The tax collector stands away at a distance and won't even lift his eyes. Well, God doesn't want him to feel that shame. That's where the modern church would start. Uneven willing to lift his eyes. Beating his breast. I'm wretched. I'm wretched. What we've gotten good at in the church is a soulish realm, mind, will, emotions realm of ministry where we appeal to people's shame and we appeal to people's emotions, but we don't push them through to the place where they can be changed by the Spirit. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is be pulverized by the hand of God. Beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Look at me, everybody in this room, look at me. When was the last time you cried out for God's mercy? That answer scares me to death. Because however long ago it was, is not how long it's go since I've needed his mercy. Verse 14 says this. I tell you this, the man who went to his, the man, this man, the out of sight of everybody, eyes to the floor, beating his chest, crying out for the mercy of God. That man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus, the proof of the poor, uh, poor in spirit. And we're going to get to my favorite verse ever, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's going to be rocking. Okay, verse 15 says this. They say they were bringing even their babies same passage of scripture. So they're bringing their babies to Jesus, right? That he would touch them. When the disciples saw it, they began rebuking parents bringing babies to Jesus. Disciples, you're idiots, right? Right? So what, here, look at this. Verse 16 says this. Jesus called them and saying, uh, hey, let them come. I got a sermon illustration right here. Bring the small children and babies here. Why? Don't hinder them. 
The hindrance that the Phariseeism spirit is, it allows you to grow up. Don't hinder them. Bring them here. For the kingdom belongs to little babies. Why? Because they're so innocent and pure. No. They're not. I've had three children. (laughs) That baby toddler thing that begins to morph. No. (laughs) No. Right? Right? Looking at you with that kind of eye in their eye. I didn't, Missy might have taught them that, but I didn't teach them that. (laughs) Actually, Missy didn't teach that. That that their nature. So the the idea isn't be perfect and innocent like a little child. My children are not perfect and innocent. Somebody say amen. The idea isn't be perfect and innocent like a little child. The idea is that my children could not live unless I let them live. What does a baby need? Everything. It literally has no ability to do anything for itself. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the so utterly needy that they don't have any ability to get in the spirit on their own, to get to the kingdom on their own. How do you get there? Be like a child. What's a child? Needs everything from father. Thank you. That is good. We always talk about how kids are so innocent and pure. This had nothing to do with how good you are, how innocent you are. It has everything to do with how, how much do you need him. Amen? Amen? Goes on to say, verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child does not enter at all. In other words, whoever doesn't come to the kingdom, approaching that kingdom as if it's the only thing I need and it's the only way I can live and the only way I can survive, doesn't get in. And talk, okay, verse 18, which is a ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, um, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? Verse 19, just keep rolling with me. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Thank you, Jesus. Because all we want to do is tell people how good they are. In the church. Isn't it? Hey, brother, you're not that bad. It's not that bad. It's going to be okay. You're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. She just said, why do you come to me calling me good? It's, It's fascinating to me that we're unwilling to call ourselves not good, and Jesus is willing to call himself not good. Are y'all here today? I've done went too long. No one's good except God alone. Verse 9, verse 20. Don't you know the commandments? Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. Don't uh, honor your father and your mother. Right, Chad? Verse 21. All these things I have kept from my youth, the guy said. Verse 22. Jesus looked at him and said, one thing you lack, one thing you still haven't done. Sell all your possessions, distribute it to the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow after me. The man was sorrowful, the Bible says. Why? He became extremely sorrowful for he was extremely rich. Again, I said earlier, I said earlier, poor in spirit doesn't mean about money, but sometimes it is about money. It's about every area of your life. Amen? Amen? Amen. 
Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? In verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Nobody likes talking about those verses. Whether what we want to preach to you is that if you just, just give Jesus your buddy or your pal, you know, if you just pray that, close your eyes, repeat after me, pray this prayer, pay your tithes, and you're going to be blessed beyond measure. Too blessed to be stressed. That's the gospel of America. And Jesus is like, um, get <laughs> absolutely, totally, 100% desperate for me for survival, and then we can get somewhere. And then verse 26 is where I am. Essentially what this says is, how are we going to do this? <laughs> right? Well, who can? Who can be saved? Who can do this? Last thing I'm saying, come here, Nick. The only way you do this is to depend on the Spirit. In other words, it's a snowball effect. Once you get into the Spirit and you decide to stay in the Spirit because you realize that's the one thing you need, that's how you perpetuate this lifestyle. Otherwise, you can't. Amen?